Have you guys ever noticed that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there tend to be two extremes. And at one church over here, you got people clucking like chickens and barking like dogs, all in the name of the Holy Spirit. Over here, you've got a church that rarely, if ever, even mentions his name. One church misunderstands him. Another church ignores him. And I think both of those extremes are a shame. You see, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's often controversial. But I believe he's also essential. In fact, I believe that it's impossible to have true prayer without the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6.18. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Jude verse 20, Jude writes, you dear friends, Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. The two verses say pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that even mean, to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, for starters, it means that when we pray, we are in desperate need of the wisdom and the power that only he can bring. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you would like to see divine results? You'd like to see God move in response to your prayers? We all do, right? But here's the hang-up. If we're not praying in the Spirit, as Paul says, as Jude says, if we're praying in the flesh, we're praying in our own power. And if we're praying in our flesh, in our own power, listen to the equation that plays out. Here's the equation. Human wisdom plus human desires equals human results. Human wisdom plus human desires equals human results. All we get is something on a human plane. We might as well have skipped the praying in the first place. But the flip side, the encouraging side, is if we pray in the Spirit, it leads to divine results. Think something else about praying in the Spirit. If we prayed in the Spirit, prayer wouldn't be just an empty ritual. It wouldn't be something we did because we felt like we had to. Prayer would involve an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Paul talked in 2 Corinthians 13 about something called the fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship is a close relationship, a bond. And what I want to tell us tonight is that powerful prayer only happens in the context of that relationship. So if we want that relationship, if we want prayer that leads to divine results, I want to tell you four things tonight to hold on to. 
The first one is, believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We need to know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. Have you guys ever had someone say to you, well, I believed in Jesus, I'm saved, but I I haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. Or better yet, they say to you, yeah, you believed in Jesus and you're saved, but you haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. You need a second experience. I want to tell you tonight on the authority of God's Word that that is impossible to be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Romans 8, 9 says. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You see, salvation and the Holy Spirit are a package deal. Can you imagine if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, the other day I got a Reese's peanut butter cup with no peanut butter. Or the other night I had spaghetti with no noodles. Or the other day I had a book, a storybook with no words or pictures. No, if you really think about it, if you didn't have peanut butter, you never had a Reese's peanut butter cup. You only had chocolate. If you didn't have noodles, you only had sauce. If you didn't have words or pictures, you didn't have a storybook. You just had blank paper. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, all you've got is empty religion. You don't have a relationship with God. They go together. And that's important. Why why spend time talking about that? Because it's important for us as believers to know He lives inside of us because we need His help when we pray. That leads us to number two. There are times we just don't know how to pray. How many of us would admit that? You sit down, you set the, the time aside, you're like, where do I start? I don't even know. I have no idea what God wants in this situation. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts, that's God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He prays on our behalf in accordance with God's will. You see, we have a basic weakness on our own called ignorance. We don't have a clue what's best for us. We don't have a clue often on our own what God's will is. And the sooner we admit that, the sooner we lay aside our pride and say, okay, yeah, I don't know the better off we're going to be. I've heard it explained this way. Could I, could I get a volunteer? I need a brave person. All right, I won't do anything crazy to you. I've heard it explained this way. If you, if you drew a circle, okay, inside the circle, the space in there represents all the knowledge, all the truth in the world. Now, what I want you to do is make a mark in there that represents how much you think you know inside the circle. 
Okay, thank you. That's what most people will do. You can have a seat. That's what most people do. They'll put a tiny little dot in there. Some will put bigger than others. But then you ask them, is it possible that outside that tiny dot that you just put in that circle, that God's will is somewhere outside of that, beyond what you can understand, beyond what you can figure out? And the answer is absolutely, yes, it's possible. In fact, I believe most of the time, it is outside of that little speck that we call our knowledge. You know, the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. That's why when we pray, we need the help of someone who always knows and always prays the will of God. That someone is the Holy Spirit. The third point, if we're going to pray in the Spirit, we cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, that's an interesting verse if you've ever studied it. Uh, if you've ever wondered, is the Holy Spirit just an impersonal force or is he something more? This verse ought to help you because you cannot grieve an impersonal force. You can only grieve a person because grief is an emotion, right? So that leads us to the question, what grieves the Holy Spirit? What breaks the Holy Spirit's heart? What offends Him? In the context there in Ephesians 4, Paul had already mentioned things like lying, unrighteous anger, dirty and useless conversation, unkindness, malice, What happens is when we expose the Holy Spirit inside of us to these and other sins, it's kind of like taking Sarah Palin to a Barack Obama speech or vice versa. Kind of like taking a faithful member of PETA, you know, the people for equal treatment of animals, out to Outback Steakhouse for a prime rib. Okay, you can imagine there's a strong reaction to what's going on. But here's the thing. Their reaction in those situations pales in comparison to the reaction of the Holy Spirit toward our sin. You see, His very name, holy, means set apart. Set apart from sin. The Holy Spirit and our sin are mortal enemies. And here's what happens. If we choose to hold on to our sin that he's convicting us about and we refuse to confess it, we're cutting off his help in our prayer life. We're cutting him out of it. And we're making our prayer lives ineffective. So you say, great, God's convicting me right now. The Holy Spirit's telling me about an area where I'm doing that. What do I do? We've come back to this verse a couple of times. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an offer that always stands. So finally, uh, number four, if we're going to pray in the Spirit, we must be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or wild living. Instead, be filled with with the Spirit. I want you to think about the parallel that Paul's making here. Someone who is drunk 
on wine is controlled by the alcohol in that wine, right? They begin to do and say things that they normally wouldn't do. So the parallel truth that Paul's saying here is someone who's filled with the Spirit is controlled by the Spirit. They're going to start doing things that they normally wouldn't do on their own in a positive sense. We're not saying they're going to drive crazy and slur their speech. It might be that they talk to their coworker about Jesus, even though their reputation at work is on the line. Or it might be that they stand up for a situation that's going to cost them their job. They, they do things that they normally wouldn't do on their own. Filling is control. And it's not that you somehow get more of the Spirit. That's not the idea of filling. The idea of filling is that He gets more of you. And what happens is as, as we give Him that control, He begins to control our mind, our will. And as that happens, that shapes our prayers exactly the way God wants them to be. So you may be sitting here saying, how do I know? I have no clue if I'm filled with the Spirit. One litmus test that you can ask yourself when you sit down to pray is this. When I pray, am I trying to talk God into something that He doesn't want? You ever do that? When I pray, am I trying to talk God into something that I know darn well he doesn't want? Or am I completely yielded to his plan? Wherever it's going to lead and whatever it's going to cost. Those are two good questions to help us know if we're filled with the Spirit. Bottom line is if we want our prayer lives to be effective, we have to pray in the Spirit. So as we close and prepare to go into a time of prayer, I want to ask the believers in the room a couple questions. I want you to think about your prayer life as of late. And the first question I want to ask is, has, have you felt uh, alone in your prayer life? And if you have, I want to encourage you tonight to ask God to help you realize the presence of His Holy Spirit inside of you. He's there. Have you felt confused in your prayer life, not knowing what to pray or where to start? I want to encourage you tonight to open your heart to the Holy Spirit's leading. Allow Him to teach you and shape your prayers. Have you found yourself in your prayer life, your will versus God's will, and it's this battle every time you pray, and you feel it, and you know it. You know you're fighting against what God wants. I want to encourage you to submit your will to the Spirit's filling. Invite Him to have control over your life. I want to close by saying there may be someone here who doesn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and you're listening to this talk and saying, man, it would be nice to be able to have a conversation with God, but every time I pray, it's just like I'm talking to myself. I don't feel that connection. What I want to tell you is Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again so that you could have that relationship with the Father and Him, so that you could have the Holy Spirit inside of you Get that conversation going. That's available 
tonight is as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe in what you did. I trust in that. I want that conversation with God. Lord, I pray that this truth about your Holy Spirit would shape what's about to happen in this room. Some of us have forgotten about him. Some of us have been grieving him and continued walking in that path. Uh, Some of us need to be reminded of his comfort and his presence in our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us in our prayers. That you'd help us to pray the will of God. And that we would see divine results to what happens over the next 20 or 25 minutes in this room. Challenge us, encourage us, and and move us in our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.